Boom! What's up everyone? Welcome to Simulation. I'm your host, Alan Sakyan. Very excited to be talking about behavior design and gamification. We have Yu Kai Chow joining us on the show. Hello. Hello. Great to be here. Thanks for coming on, brother. Really yeah, appreciate it's a it. Pleasure. Yeah, we have so much to talk about. Yu Kai's background is awesome. Yu Kai is the original creator of the Octalysis Framework, a gamification pioneer, behavioral designer, and author slash keynote speaker. He's president of the Octalysis Group and founder of Octalysis Prime, which is a gamified mentorship platform. His work has empowered over 1 billion users' experiences across the world. And his, there's, this is his most recent book, Actionable Gamification, which you can check out below. We'll be talking about this quite a bit throughout the conversation today. All right, Yukai. Let's start things off with this big history perspective on civilization. We find ourselves as stewards of Earth. What is your current take on the state of humanity. Okay, so I think for most of human history, a lot of things are just about survival, not just about thriving. You know, the times are hard, diseases, and we're getting to a place where I think in the last few decades, it's about an enabling technology, technology that brings us, you know, uh, more capabilities. So then you have the hardware wave and the software. Now, we're getting to a very interesting space because now we see, oh, wow, there's technology, there's software, we can interact with, with technology, but we're not happier, right? Our brains are more delighted. And so now we're getting to a place that, okay, why, what can make us happier? What can give us more meaning? And this is why you see this wave, you know, in San Francisco where the technology wave is, now people are talking about mindfulness, right? Spirituality, about uh, human-focused design, about how do you add more meaning and then purpose, about you know, starting with why, all that stuff is what we start to crave for because once we satisfy those survival needs and these functional needs now we want to have inspirational needs and i think we're getting to that world where just because you have great technology and features and technology and all just the stuff like that is not enough for us we need to figure out what empowers the human spirit and connects people together and they feel less lonely, less depressed. So I think that's where we're at. We're, we're at a place where the brain matters a lot and feelings matter a lot. So, so you know, a lot of people like what I do and some other people is now really just focus on, okay, how do you empower humans, not just uh, products and features and technology? Yeah, you, you make it clear that a lot of the millions of years of evolution that got us to this point of this technology explosion was, and we'll show a graphic with this, is just the more of the bottom primordial needs of Maslow's hierarchy, uh, and now a majority of what we crave with the explosion of technology is meaning, purpose, fulfillment, self-actualization, and transcendence. And so you've created really a, a framework that gives, um, that brings this all to light um, for people and we'll let's we'll be unpacking that in a bit you Kai let's ask you about your journey and how you got to this point you're born in Taiwan then spent some time in South Africa and then you move back to Taiwan and then Kansas then Los Angeles and you picked up you started a couple companies and like really got into um, gaming a lot and then figuring out some of these tactics and now you've built yourself up till here. Tell us about this. Well, I was in gaming uh, before, beforehand and I got into gamification when I started my company. So um, my father's a diplomat from Taiwan. So we would move a lot, like you said, to different countries as South Africa from two years old to eight years old. And my life experience was basically I get thrown in an environment. I don't speak the language very well. I'm behind in school. I'm socially awkward. And then I just try to work hard. I catch up to people. I learn, I observe how people feel and you know, how to gain some respect. Um, so I start to catch up. And, if I, and then once I feel like, yeah, I figured this out, I'm thriving, then I get thrown in an environment where I completely suck again and I start all over. And I think that allows me to, yeah. uh, to uh, have this perseverance, to have this empathy. These are all skills that I later on harness like, substantially. Um, I have a worldview about, okay, because if you grow up in one culture, you'll think, oh, this is how the world works, this is how society works, this is how humans are. You can't change it. But when you go to another country, another culture, like, wow, like things that were considered polite and correct in one country is offensive here. Yes. So then you start seeing things from multiple angles. 
and multiple worldviews. That's, that's crucial. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And there's all there's all these hilarious stories that I have that you just I just got penalized greatly and people don't like me and all like that stuff. Like the way you were interacting with kids in Taiwan versus the way you interact with kids in South Africa versus in Kansas. These yeah. were completely different. Yeah, even yeah. the teachers don't like me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so because the way I operate, like what, what's considered a good behaving student in one place would be drastically different in another place. Um, These are very important things to be able to pass along to others that may not have left their own cultures yet. Mm -hmm. And so um, the importance of leaving your own culture is, to, is very important. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, here's one interesting example. Uh, people these days talk about the, I don't know if you've heard about the China social credit system. Yeah, Sesame Credit. Yeah, the Sesame yeah, Credit. Yeah, they, look, yeah. they're, they basically have a FICO score on, on being a good citizen yeah. right, in terms of just going to, uh, just researching patriotic things, buying uh, Chinese product as opposed to foreign products and the, even the friends you make uh, will affect your score. And from the Western culture to look at that and like, wow, that's like censorship, that's like complete uh, uh, dictatorship and, and tyrannical control. But when you look in the culture in China, they don't mind, most of them don't mind that. They think this is really good. I've had friends who say, we, you know, in the U.S., there's no there's no cameras everywhere. I feel less safe. In China, everywhere there's a camera, so you know there's safety. Like the government's watching if people are committing crime, and and they feel good about it, that. So so, in Chinese, in the, the Chinese culture, culture the Chinese culture. culture is that you you generally believe in your leader and you follow the leader and you you do your part well, right? And interesting. Yeah, and of course the leader proves to be too tyrannical sometimes in history. They'll overthrow the, the dynasty and whatnot. But generally, you listen to the emperor. You listen to, and they, in the, historically, they believe emperors are installed by, by this heavenly d divinity. It's like, this is the emperor, and there's the golden dragon that, that's in his blood, right? So, so in that culture, they don't mind that. They, as long as they believe the government is, is okay, you know, they, uh, and, and a lot of them do think they're, it's okay. They think this helps us have more order in society. Interesting. Um, and yeah. And, so, then, and so then the characters are playing their roles in the great game of the development of China towards prosperity. Yeah. Um, w but with a little bit more, uh, like it's kind of gamified in a sense with the social credit. Mm -hmm. I mean, the U.S. has its own uh, gamification mm -hmm. with capitalism and free markets and the in prop putting up the individual. Sure. Um, so it's kind of like different code and different. Yeah. So, so I'm not saying the moral implications of it myself. I'm just saying there's a viewpoint. Oh, but I think one way to right. understand it yeah. better uh, from our Western view is think about like you have a dad and that's really strict. He has all these systems and rules. It doesn't allow you to do this, and he monitors that and. But we, we, we believe that our dad loves us and is good for us, right? So we, talk, we think, okay, the system is fine. You know, he's making us study harder to get in college, whatever. Yeah. You know, he's teaching us hard lessons in life. So because we, we trust our dads, most of us, and when there's a harder system, we don't mind it. So, but we think, oh, government shouldn't, shouldn't have that type of, type of power here, right? But in China, a lot of people believe government is the same thing. You know, when there's more systems, there's more... Um, observation of and there's more power it's a good thing it helps us keep society in order like um, a like a thoughtful mom and dad loving uh, with guidance and direction towards that prosperity yeah mm -hmm. yeah just sometimes the you know, maybe like younger people or the individuals could have good ideas that might not get heard and stuff sure. like that. Yeah, yeah. So that, that, yeah. That's, that dynamics all there, that dynamics there. so okay, going back continue. to my story yes, as, yes. I, as I've grown up I became a very heavy gamer and I think the turning point in my life was 2003 when I was playing this game called Diablo 2. Yep. And I spent thousands of hours you know, getting more gear, leveling yeah. up, getting gold, and just perfecting all the skills. And it got to a point where all my friends started quitting the game and they moved on to other games. So I quit too. And I was in this transitional period between quitting a game and starting a new game. And I just felt extremely empty. I'm like, wow, all those thousands of hours I invested into this game is just gone. Yeah. Like part of my life just, just disappeared. And so it was very, it was, it was a dark, depressing feel. And I thought, well, would it be awesome if I spent those thousand hours learning a new language or playing the violin? I would actually be high level in, in, in the real world, not just in a game. And so that led me into a journey of, of thinking about two, two topics. One is how do you make games where the more time you spend on it, the more productive your real life is. You know, mm -hmm. you're, you're successful from a career standpoint, you're healthier, you, you're closer to your relationships. And also how to make real life more interesting and fun. 
because most people think you know real life is kind of boring and mundane you just have all these chores you have to do and maybe watch some TV or, or play some games on the side so how do you make that more interesting so that led me on a journey and um, at UCLA where I went to college on my as an undergrad I my first year in college I started my first business because I just saw it like a game it was like really fun you have your resources you have your goals you know people uh, define sometimes a game as just um, voluntarily tackling unnecessary obstacles you know sometimes adding uh, adding blocks and difficulty makes it fun if it's too easy no one wants to play the game yeah. so so I started a few business so I started one and led to another one led to another and and I I never started my companies because I had this huge vision of you know I want to be rich or have this huge business it was just fun I just enjoyed it it's like a game uh, and I learned a tremendous amount of it from it. Yep. It's, uh, it's, of course, a lot of tension and stress. Yeah. And I definitely have more failures than successes. Yep, yep, but yep. just like a game, you never beat a game the first time you play it, right? Yeah. If you do, that's probably a bad game. Yeah. Right? You have to yeah. fail many Too times, easy. die. It's like, okay, that's why I died. And the next time, oh, I got to stage three this time. Yeah. And then, oh, now I got to stage five, right? And so it's, it's like evolution and you grow from that. Which could basically be what we're doing right now. Sure. In, in uh, our little 80-year game sure, that we yeah. play. This Can you beat your previous high score? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so interesting. And I, I really enjoyed when you mentioned the period of time in between games where you came up with this realization that um, how can I make what I've uh, learned applicable in, in the real world? Mm -hmm. um, and how can I help uh, design um, uh, games and gamification? Uh, and then started starting the businesses so yeah take us yeah. continue us on the path so i started a lot of startup companies um and i that the term wasn't defined yet but they're all in today's terminology all in the gamification space and you can imagine that was very very early right 2005 is when i started my first company and you know nowadays i think most people even if they heard of gamification they've heard of it in the past three to five years right so, so 2005 i was the crazy guy who just had this had this vision and I just want to do it. And I was very lucky, very blessed because, um, you know, over many years, organizations, companies, even governments started to realize how powerful this could be. Um, and so they looked around and I happened to be the only person who's been doing it for so long, one of the only people who's been doing it for so long. And so I started getting a lot of opportunities. Now, uh, the big turning point in my life was when I started to uh, start to gather information about, okay, what actually makes a game successful? Why are we motivated in a certain way? Why are there things that are important in our lives that we know we should do? You know, working out, eating healthily, you know, focus on productive, not procrastinating, but we just don't want to do it. And then there's things that are generally not that useful. You know, uh, going on Facebook, playing some games, it doesn't really help us real life in most senses. Uh, but we just spend sometimes eight to 12 hours a day doing that. And so I, I did the study and then I ended up deriving this framework called the Octalysis framework. Yes. So I, I shared it on my blog and it was instantly uh, picked up. So within a year, it was organically translated into over 16, 18 different languages. Um, and so I'd, on Twitter, I'd see like wow. a conference in Russia and, on their, and it's an image on their big screen. They, they have my Octalysis framework there. And I, I don't understand all, any of the words, but it's like, that's my Octalysis framework. Wow. And so then I started to be able to lecture uh, some of that at Stanford University occasionally. Uh, I do workshops and talks at you know, Google, Lego, Huawei. Um, for, I do some advisory for some governments like for the Singaporean, the UK, and uh, Bahrain. Huge. Whoa. Um, yeah, so it was just very, very lucky where I, I did something and it, and it stuck and people really resonated with it. They saw it was really useful and it grew from there. So, so then eventually led to what I'm doing today, which is Octalysis Group, which is a consulting design company uh, that helps up other companies utilize this this understanding of motivation and engagement to drive more business metrics. And then there's what I call something I call Octalysis Prime, which is an education platform for people to learn about all the things that I've acquired in my life through yes. a gamified fun platform. Yes, yes. This is where I am today. And and you Ukai also um, has 400 plus of these five to 10 minute videos explaining what he's learned in his life. Um, so he has a lot of content and this is part of the Octalysis Prime, yes. which is part of the network of people that you're teaching what you've learned too. And this is, this is growing really quickly. I wanna, I wanna highlight something else that you said 
which was <clears throat> you basically through your life really from like UCLA until now um, you really got deep into the question of why 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 and the and the more I, I realized that the guests that come out on the show they get to the why they don't necessarily stay at the surface level of um, of spending the time doing things, but they've actually went into the why am I doing what I'm doing? How can I build, like you did a framework that showed the amount of time that I spend on Facebook and what that does for me versus the amount of time that I spend getting to my goals mm -hmm. and what I care about and how that compounded actually mm -hmm. helps me with my success and, in and my life. What's, and the, the, re the reason why is that if you just look at what and how, that will give you skills. But if you look at why, that gives you wisdom and insights. Yeah. And wisdom and insights tends to be more applicable throughout your life. Yes. Yes, let's, let's start breaking down the actual um, octalysis framework. So we have eight core drives to start. And then around these eight core drives, we have uh, game design techniques. Okay. So, okay, let's do this. So, first of all, it's called the octalysis because it's a combination between octagon and analysis. Uh, I always thought it's very intuitive, but sometimes I work with a client for a year and then they suddenly realize that it's a, some kind of happy epiphany. So it's I, a portmanteau. Yeah, yeah, they're like, whoa, yeah. it's like that. And octagon so, and I want to share it early. So, the, the origin of the, of the octalysis framework is I want to understand why some games are extremely successful and some games are not. And sometimes they're just clones or copycats. They, they look, for most people, identical. But again, one is very successful, one is not. So I, I want to understand what was the delta, what, what actually made things successful. And I noticed a few things. Number one, it's not because one game has these game design elements and the other doesn't, right? They're copycats, they both have leveling up, Easter eggs, they both have achievement symbols. Yes. But again, one's successful, one's not. I also noticed it's not because of the graphics. Sometimes the visually stunning game is a huge failure, and the relatively ugly, low, low resolution game like Minecraft or RuneScape achieves massive success. Yeah. So what I end up realizing is that at the end of the day, every successful game has now what I call the eight core drives of motivation. Yes. So, uh, so, I, so I put it on an octagon. And so in here, you'll see the center. Those are the eight core drives that motivate all our behavior. And then outside, there's these different game design techniques. Yes. This is an example list that can bring out those eight core drives. Now, this is a pretty busy chart, so usually I, I like to just focus on the center, so I think there's another image just, yes. just on that center one. Yes. Um, but the unique thing about those eight core drives is that every single thing we do, inside or outside of a game, uh, is based on one or more of these eight core drives, which means that if there's none of these eight core drives there, there's zero motivation, no behavior happens. You know, people watching this show even, they're watching this because of at least one of these eight core drives. It could be core drive seven, unpredictable curiosity, they're just curious. Yes. Could be core drive five, social influence and relatedness, a friend invited, shared it to them, or they, you know, a colleague said, hey, check this out. Yep. Could be core drive two, develop an accomplishment. They actually want to improve their skill levels and, and take their work to the next level. Yeah. Uh, could be core drive one, epic meaning calling occasionally. Some people feel like, hey, this is where the world's going. This is changing the world, I want to be part of it. Um, sometimes there's a scarcity factor, which is, oh, this, this uh, speaker only appears in this country or this show once a year, so, uh, I, wanted, I, would, I, want, I would like to reprioritize my schedule to show up. Uh, when I do these uh, internal corporate workshops, a lot of it is based on core drive eight, loss and avoidance, which is, oh, I don't want to lose my job, so I show up. Um, and hopefully, eventually, it's converted to other core drives. But the key yes. thing is, if these eight core drives are not there, then none of the audience would be watching. You wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here. Customers totally. are not buying, coworkers are not working. Nothing happens. Interesting. So, so these are all whys. The eight core drives are wise. Yes. And then the we're gonna we're gonna get here, but when you're when the core drives are more in this white hat gamification, more in this self-actualization part of the hierarchy, you're gonna get a deeper meaning and purpose and fulfillment than if it's in the scarcity, avoidance, unpredictability um, side of things. Yes, so, yes, so the, the, these are the eight. And yep. then there's also the, um, the extrinsic yeah. on the so, left and the intrinsic. So the right. key is that these are the eight core drives and it's graphed on an octagon shape for a reason. The top core drives, I call them white hat motivation core drives. So they make people feel powerful, in control, they feel good. But there's no sense of urgency. 
So people mm. can procrastinate because they're full in control, right? They do it whenever they want. The bottom core drives, I call them loss in a, or uh, black hat core drives. So if you're always doing something just to avoid a loss, just because you can't have something or just because you don't know what's going to happen next, it's still extremely powerful in motivating our behavior. But in the long run, if that was the only motivation, it leaves a bad taste in our mouths uh, because we feel like we're not in control and we do want to drop out. And then we have what we call, what I call left brain versus right brain core drives, the left side, I call them left brain core drives, which uh, I always make the disclaimer, it doesn't uh, mean that it's geographically on the left side of your brain, but it symbolically represents our logical brain versus the right brain core drives that symbolically represent the emotional brain. Now what's interesting is the left brain core drives deal with what we call extrinsic motivation. Mm -hmm. Things you do for a reward, purpose, or a goal, but you don't necessarily enjoy the activity itself. So once you obtain the reward, you hit your goals or you get used to the reward, it gets stale, you stop doing that behavior. The th and intrinsic motivation uh, is about things that you just enjoy doing to the point that you're even willing to spend money to experience. And even if you lost all your progress the next day, you would still want to do this fun thing today because you just, en you just enjoy it. And so when you look at this diamond, it's very interesting. Um, the white hat core drives are the things that we actually want to do on a day-to-day -day basis. And if we actually do it, it makes us happy. So things like epic meaning and calling, you know, uh, pursuing our faith or making a difference in the world, changing lives, development accomplishment, achieving mastery, improving ourselves, empowerment of creativity and feedback, which is more about self-expression, about creativity, meaningful choices, right? So if we spend time doing that, it makes us happy. We just don't do that. We spend most of the time doing the black hat stuff. So loss and avoidance, oh, the deadlines. Scarcity, the exclusive offers. Unpredictability, oh, what's on Game of Thrones? What's on Facebook? What's on, what's on Instagram, mm. right? So mm. we spend all our time doing that stuff, mm -hmm. but it doesn't necessarily make us happier. So that's why uh, some solutions say, well, how do we get us to do the white hat things? Well, there's two ways, right? Number one is to remove the black hat triggers, which means you go to the mountain, you go to the beach, you go to the dojo, right? There's no more black hat triggers that says, oh, you know, this offer is going to end in, in two hours. You should do it right now, right? There's no FOMO. You just, you just focus on the white hat. Mm -hmm. Or you add black hat to the white hat activities to compete. And this is where, for instance, uh, you, you hire a gym trainer to call you a loser for not working out, right? It feels bad, but at least, but it makes you prioritize it. It makes you work out and it eventually leads to core drive to develop an accomplishment. Like, oh, so you thank, thank you for pushing me so hard uh, that I can accomplish things that I couldn't do on my own, right? And yeah. so those are the two things. Now, the, what's interesting is then you can look at the dynamics, the, even the corners, right? Unpredictability and curiosity, that's core drive seven. It's on the right bottom. And so this one is what we call intrinsic with black hat. So intrinsic as in our brains enjoy it. The black hat, we feel we're not in control. So this is like the gambling core drive. But Let's say when you watch Game of Thrones or some, some show you like, it's, it's core drive some unpredictable curiosity because our brains enjoy it, but a lot of times we're not in control. Like we want to go to bed at 11 p.m. and then we end up binge watching till 4 a.m., right? So and one interesting example for this is about the intrinsic nature is let's say if you sit there and you press a button for four hours straight and you're guaranteed a paycheck. That's kind of boring, right? That's like a job at a factory. Most of it don't like that. But if you sit there and press a button for four hours straight, and maybe you'll get a paycheck, maybe you won't, maybe you'll lose money. Suddenly that's uh, casino gambling. And a lot of people like that, right? It doesn't make any sense. The same behavior, one, you're guaranteed to pay out, the other one, you're most likely gonna lose money. That's how the casinos make so much money. But our brains prefer the latter because we're literally paying for the intrinsic, enjoyable experience of maybe I'll win, maybe I'll win, maybe I'll mm -hmm. win. You're not doing it for the extrinsic reward per se. You're doing it for the intrinsic motivation, the experience. And so people come out of the casino, they'll say, hey, Yukai, I lost 200 bucks, but that was so much fun. Let's come back next week, <laughs> right? And so it's, it's exactly what we call intrinsic black hat. We don't feel the control. That's why you have gambling addiction, but we enjoy it. This, I'd see why 16, 18 languages around the world have, this has been translated. I think it's way more now. Way this more is, This now. is on year one, yeah. This was on year one. And yeah. so it makes sense that it, it gives us the a per, deeper perspective into um, the why behind our behavior. And then, um, like you said, it's about um, designing uh, systems that enable us to pursue the epic meaning, accomplishment, empowerment, um, the things that give us the self-actualization and transcendence, um, and potentially designing things that take us away from a scarcity um, and avoidance on predictability. That's, this is very, very cool. I wanna, um, okay, let's continue. Let's continue by uh, bringing us to how this relates to the hierarchy 
of needs. Okay, so to, to lay down some context, um, you know, there's a ton of behavioral models, motivation frameworks out there, and if you go to one of these conferences, you'll listen to a speaker talk about something that's really intelligent, really amazing, but then just like, well, there's so many of them, right? How, how, do, they do, how do they even connect to each other? You know, it's all talking about the same brain, and what should I use when I go home and work on my project, right? And so, since it's, like I said, it's talking about the same brain, so there shouldn't be uh, all these different dimensions that can't connect to each other, right? And so, so I, what I like to do is I like to use the Octalysis framework to look at all these behavioral frameworks and models and start putting them in context. How does it fit to the Octalysis? And so far, every single motivation model I have been able to do that successfully. And so uh, here's the, the Maslow's hierarchy and the reason why this one is interesting. It's probably the, the number one most well-known motivation model out there. Now, the validity is, is debated at times, but I think it just has the most ubiquity of everyone believes in that. And as you probably know, the idea of the Maslow's hierarchy is that um, it's that you have your basic needs on the bottom, and once you satisfy your basic needs, then you work on the higher needs that, that make you happier. So, so you go from uh, physiological needs into self-actualization, like yes. you mentioned, right? Yes. So if you look at a different chart where I match how these different needs connect to the eight core drives, you can see here that on the top you have core drives one, two, three, and those are the white hat core drives. You know, epic meaning and calling, development, accomplishment, empowerment of creativity and feedback. In the middle of the triangle, you have core drives four and five, ownership, possession, which is about security and safety, and social influence and relatedness, which is about you know, love and belonging. And at the bottom of the pyramid, we have things like core drive six, scarcity, core drive seven, unpredictability, and core drive eight, loss and avoidance. So it's almost like you can put an octalysis uh, octagon on top of this triangle and just say, hey, look, the top ones are the white hat, the bottom ones are the black hat, and there's a reason for that. This was so cool when you showed me this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so there's a reason for that. It's because the bottom of the Maslow's hierarchy and, and the black hat motivation is based on motivation from what we call the reptilian brain, the crocodile brain, the primitive survival brain. And, and this is why, again, I talked about black hat motivation makes people take urgent uh, behaviors, but they don't feel like they're in control. And it's because we feel like we're hardwired to do these things for survival, right? And, you know, talk about loss and avoidance, you're avoiding danger, unpredictable and curiosity, you're exploring new lands, scarcity and patience, you are uh, going after scarce resources, right? Helps us survive. Yeah. So, but if we spend all our all our days doing that, we don't feel good about ourselves because we feel like animals, primitive animals. Yeah. And so the top of the pyramid and the white hat core drives deal with uh, things from the neocortex, which are like, oh, what is the meaning of my life? You know, how can I achieve the the best possible result that I can achieve? How can I get to my full potential? How can I have more self-expression and autonomy? Right? Those are the things where it makes, that, that makes us happy. And if we spend more time doing those things, we feel more human. And, uh, and so that's why, that's how the Octalis framework connects to something like Maslow's hierarchy. This and was so beautiful when you showed this to me. And I, it also, it speaks to how interconnected your why, the Octalysis framework is, to something as uh, popular as Maslow's hierarchy of needs mm -hmm. and how, um, we designing the code of civilization and the frameworks and resource flows to help get us to meaning, accomplishment, and empowerment for every single one of us mm -hmm. is one of the most important things that we can do. Yeah, and some uh, one time a person asked me if I took the masses hierarchy as a basis and then designed the white hat black hat based on that, and, and that's not the case. I literally studied games and I created the framework, and then I realized. For every core drive, there's a lot of scientific research behind it and research and, and studies. So I started expanding my understanding of it. And then after all of that, years later, I'm like, hey, look, you could actually correlate that to all these other uh, models. And there's a ton of them That's we so can cool. do. It's <laughs> so uh, cool that you did it that way. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that means that you're um, doing it, I think, then in. Uh, like you said, most people have to go to the most hundreds or thousands of years old knowledge or wisdom and build off of that. But you built it and then looked back at the wisdom and said, whoa, it overlaps, which was mm -hmm. a big aha moment that you're on the right track. And, and I can tell you why studying games end up being so fruitful. It's because if you think about traditional psychological experiments, it's like you have a class with, let's say, 100 undergrad students. 
and you divide them into two groups, right? And then you let them do some kind of experiment, but with one group, there's one change, right? And if that second group with a change behave different from the first group, there's like, oh, that change actually is uh, changing that behavior, right? And if they can replicate that experiment in multiple classrooms, then it's scientifically proven to, to, be, to, to, motive, to change behavior. Now, if you look at games, right, a every single game is like a petri dish of hundreds of thousands, hundreds of millions of test subjects, yeah. all voluntarily changing their behavior based on the design. So you can say, oh, we added a bit more unpredictability, and suddenly everyone changed their behavior. Well, we added a bit of scarcity, and then you can look at why some games people can play forever, like chess, you know, and it's still fun, and why there are games like Farmville, where people are excited about it for eight months, and then they suddenly like hate the game. They just want to quit, and when mm -hmm. quitting the game feels amazing. Yeah. Um, and so you can start to identify all these patterns. So it's a lot based on output about how what actually comes out of human behavior in a petri dish simulated environment. Yeah. And so the, the the insights derived from that actually turns out to be very valid. <laughs> I love the way that you talk about it. Like the game becomes nested, it's a, it's a simulation, it's a, petri, it's a petri dish within our own petri dish, which is civilization, our yeah. own, yeah, so, th so figuring out what games to make within the game of civilization that maximize self-actualization, self-transcendence, meaning and purpose is important. The games that, that are taking us away from the things that we love, away from meaning and purpose, um, Get rid of, yeah. you know. Speak, yeah. our, our brains need those eight core drives. So either we find it in the real world or we find it in the gaming world, right? Epic, meaning, we want to have more purpose and meaning in our lives. And so people who, are, who feel like they're changing the world, they don't want to play games. They're, every day they wake up, they don't want to go to bed, right? They wake up, they're doing it, they don't tire out, they're just workaholics, they hate taking vacations. Why would, they, why would you take them away from their favorite game, right? But then if you can't find these things, then it's like, oh, I guess I'll go into a game world where I'm saving the world there. You know, I'm defeating Damn. this demon or this, this, this alien species. And they find epic meaning. And, and this is why we see so many people that lack meaning in the real world play games yeah. and find epic meaning in the virtual worlds. Absolutely. So either civilization updates its code where we can help all 8 billion people find huge amounts of meaning and purpose in the real world or we'll lose four billion of them or pretend, yeah, to the virtual worlds, mm -hmm. um, which we kind of see in um, some of the, the books. Um. Yeah, and, and so it doesn't have to be meaning and purpose itself. That's just one of the eight core drives. Ideally, it's white hat or intrinsic. So either you let them feel a lot of space of expression, self-expression, creativity or you let them feel socially connected people. Some people feel underappreciated everywhere they go. So when they go into the game world, they feel appreciated, right? So guess what? They're gonna go there all, like yeah. very often, right? Um, unpredictable curiosity. Oh, every day it's mundane, same things, same old, same old, nothing to anticipate. But in the gaming world, there's, there's all these unpredictable curiosity designs, everywhere from loot box, you know, Easter eggs, new content showing up. And it's just, you yeah. never know what's gonna happen next. And that again connects to the, almost like the gambling brain. Totally. Of, you just yeah, wanna be totally there again and again. Yeah, yeah. So, so the Maslow hierarchy is a, is a nice space, but then I think uh, what's also interesting is the, uh, the self-determination theory. I think you have uh, yeah. that too. So, yeah, yeah, and, I, and I, I'm just so fascinated by the trajectory of civilization um, because octalysis gives us a, another it adds to our worldview, mm -hmm. and if uh, a, if a bifurcation based on socioeconomics or whatever may happen, um, and we see a Ready Player One style scenario of lots of people living in virtual worlds to find meaning and fulfillment, um, and the physical world not uh, being um, <clears throat> in a state of as much flourishing as it could potentially be, I think that one of the uh, main reasons why we would have ventured into that line mm -hmm. of the civ code versus the civ code where all 8 billion people are experiencing flourishing and we have a utopic style of civilization on a grand scale multi-planetary etc is because we just didn't have enough of time to slow down we didn't prioritize mm -hmm. slowing down to think about what kind of a, a long-term civilization we wanted to build and so we gotta we have to prioritize 
um, maximal flourishing for all beings and uh, fulfilling the basic physiological needs for all beings and prioritizing that. And this is a problem when the world's getting more, more and more data-driven. Like data-driven sounds very great, it's sophisticated, it's intelligent, it's, it sounds good. The problem is, it can and the, the thing is that society isn't uh, controlled by one entity, right? It's, a, it's, yes. it's many, many little ecosystems at play with each other. And as these ecosystems get more data-driven, what happens, they'll do things that create immediate results. And the, the problem is, because black hat motivation drives urgency, like I mentioned, when you're too focused on the data, you're always gonna do more black hat motivation, right? You, you put a, what we call a torture break on, which is those designs that says, you have to wait eight hours before oh. you, can, you can move forward, unless yeah. you pay a dollar, whatever. Yeah. It's like, wow, we did this, and then people are paying tons of money, and they're coming back 10 times a day. It's amazing, and they're telling all their friends about it. So let's do more of that. Let's put more torture breaks on, right? And so society will get more and more black hat uh, because it drives results, KPI driven, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but it doesn't necessarily make us happier so people burn out. And that's why nowadays we're at the most advanced civilization in history. Uh, we, we're technology advanced, you know, on average, you know, we're flourishing, everyone has smartphones. Yes. But, you know, drug abuse and suicide is, is, hi, is, is higher yeah. than car accidents now. So it's, car accidents used to be the number one number in the U.S., one, now yeah. it's those two. And you can see there's a huge emotional problem in, 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 in the society that's flourishing yeah. economically. This is one of the main arguments that we have to Steven Pinker's uh, Better Angels of Our Nature. <clears throat> it's just true in so many ways that we are experiencing the greatest civilization. Simultaneously, why are there such high suicides? Why are there such high emotional um, ailments that are causing um, drug abuses and addictions? Um, so I think this is a very ties directly into the Ectalysis framework and it's so fascinating talking to you about it. So yes, yeah, so we have these three innate um, psychological needs that comp 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 comprise the self-determination theory of student yeah, motivation. So, so this is just another example of looking at different other models and frameworks. This one is one of the most well-known. Uh, it's the self-determination created by Ryan and Daichi, yep. and it's popularized by Daniel Pink, and the book is called Drive. Drive. And yep. he adds, so, so in the self-determination theory, it talks about, oh, surprise, humans aren't just motivated by getting a reward and avoiding pain. They are motivated by these three intrinsic motivation factors, which is uh, competence, it's uh, relatedness, and autonomy. Daniel Pink adds uh, purpose to that list, yes. and he changed competence to mastery, which sounds cooler. In a longer conversation, I argue that it's less precise. Um, but if you, if you look at the self-determination theory and you relate it to the octalysis framework, yes. so I think there, there's, there's another, another chart for that. about that. Yep. Yeah. Yep, and this is again, this is kind of finding yourself uh, in a state of flow when you're self-determined to and motivated to pursue actualization. Sure. That's a, your certain level of competency, a certain level of relatedness and autonomy that you have with what you're doing. And then yeah, so here it is related to the Octalysis yeah. framework. So if you look at the Octalysis framework, purpose is obviously connected to epic meaning and calling, core drive one. Competence or mastery is tied to development and accomplishment. Autonomy is connected to empowerment of creativity and feedback, which my definition was about you know, uh, self-expression, autonomy, and meaningful choices. And relatedness, obviously, is connected to social influence and relatedness. And so you can see that the self-determination theory covers all these white hat core drives, right? It's on the top of the octagon. So it's very, very good there, but it doesn't necessarily, for instance, explain why people are addicted to gambling. Yes. You know, it doesn't talk more, a, a lot about the black hat motivation core drives, scarcity yes, yes, that yes, creates yes. obsessive behavior. And I think it doesn't have to because the goal of the self-determination theory is correct, to get people correct. to do creative work in the, for the long term. And we know that white hat motivation is, is great for that, getting people to be creative, work sustainably, whereas black hat is about the, sh the short-term transactions. Like you want to get people to, to give, your, uh, give you their credit card or like a two-week competition, uh, but it doesn't make people feel good. Where if you look at uh, behavioral economics, um, for instance, uh, Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow, yep. a lot of that is on more on the left, left bottom. It's about ownership, which is uh, the endowment effect. It's about how to deal with scarcity, how to deal with uh, risk uh, and, and avoidance, right? And so, so that's on the left bottom because it's behavioral economics, it's dealing with extrinsic stuff, right? It's, and it's dealing with, with uh, black hat stuff, but it doesn't really talk about why people die for a higher meaning and purpose, yeah. right? It doesn't talk about people do things just to be creative because it's not economical just to be creative. So, you, so with this firm, you can just start to 
look at people's work and understand, okay, where in the spectrum of motivation is this piece of work more focused on? And you can uh, develop your knowledge there, but also understand the context of it. Yep, yep. And like you said, it's, it's uh, so important to be able to overlay how um, certain frameworks have a, um, a proclivity to talk about uh, self-actualization and transcendence, but how a catalysis is able to have the why for that and the why for some of the black hats um, that happen across the world. Um, okay, so within um, Actalysis Prime, you have, uh, this is where, where you have 400 videos, five to 10 minute videos. People can join Actalysis Prime, that's on the link below with um, yukaichao.com. And can you give us an explanation of this beautiful graphic that you have here? Okay, so. The motivation for me to start Octalis Prime was, was many-fold. Um, number one is I was a little frustrated with, you know, we are doing all this great work for companies and government, and a lot of our projects are, uh, you know, over $100,000. And obviously, we're helping big companies make more money, but uh, my passions really help uh, everyone live through my experience, learn things I, I can. Of course, that's obviously in, uh, price out of their range, right? So I wanted something that people can learn more. So that's that's the... That's the first thing, more of a B2C type of model. Um, the second thing is, uh, I, one of the frustrations I had also was I would design these solutions for companies and I think it's amazing, but they always, what they end up uh, creating is like 20, 30% of what I designed. Interesting. And as a creative person, and we talk about core drive through, empowerment of creativity and feedback, right? When you design something creative, you really wanna see how well it works, you wanna see it flow like magic, makes you happy. Um, and so I wanted something that I had full control over. Like I wanted to show like this is how a great uh, education platform could be like. And the challenge there is how do you make it less linear? You know, most education platforms are, oh, you do this 10 modules and you get an achievement, a certificate or badge and you do this 10. Yeah, so yeah, a yeah. thousand people would be doing the same thing and they take all the same actions. There's no meaningful choice, there's no strategy. So my question is how to add Core Drive 3, Empowerment of Creative Feedback yeah. into this so people can choose their journey, they're growing differently, they're unlocking different power-ups. Yes. They can strategize. Literally, uh, three weeks ago, one of my OP members created a strategy guide on, on YouTube about how he chooses to grow in this journey, what he feels is the most optimal. That's great. Yeah, so when people create strategy guides That's huge. on an experience, you know there's meaningful choices, right? Yeah, yeah. Because that strategy guide was a major part of uh, the gamer culture as well. You would get strategy guides that'd be released on how yeah. to best play the game of civilization. Yeah, so that, yeah. That's this is the best way to play and, OP. Yeah, yeah. So you know it's not linear when there's when people can do that. Yeah. The other thing is a lot of people reach out and say, "Hey, you could have read your book like multiple times. I've watched all your online videos. Yada yada. Uh, where do I go from here?" Right, and mm. I mentioned to you earlier that the book, which is already 500 pages, it only has about 15% of the knowledge base that I, that I can share. Yes. And so my goal is, okay, this is where the, the journey continues, right? Yes. You, we assume that people are on the island, of course there's all this basic content too, but a lot of them will already have the basic content and it's about pushing that to the next level, level two, level three octalysis, applying to your, your happiness, your career, your well-being relationships, and just everything that I, I've learned in my life and, I'm, and I want to pass down to my twin daughters, yes, you know, I want yes. it to be on Octalysis Prime. Um, and then finally, another goal for Octalysis Prime is when I work with companies, I feel like I'm using the same body of knowledge that I already have and applying different scenarios, which is yes. really fun and, and interesting, yes. but I feel like I have less bandwidth and time to expand that knowledge base to begin with. And with Octalysis Prime, what's nice is it allows me to continuously research more things, research game, read books, scientific journals, expand the knowledge base, and then continuously share um, my, la my latest research and, and insights to, to the members. Yes. So now there's an ecosystem for me to, yes. to just learn, which is intrinsically motivating to me. Um, so this was formed, so the Octalysis group is where you're doing a lot of the consulting. And so you took the framework, the Octalysis framework, and you started doing consulting for companies that would pay for you to help them understand the white hat, black hat, extrinsic, intrinsic, all these eight core pillars of whys. And then you also realized that you put about 15% of the, of the data into this actionable gamification book, mm -hmm. and then said, I also want 
a platform, so that's Octalysis Prime, where you can have people come in mm -hmm. individually, not at the 100K level of corporations, but at a smaller level where they can learn a, like 50% of your content base, yeah. um, paying a monthly to get access yeah. to 50%. So the, the, goal, yes. the goal is to get to 100% of my knowledge The goal base. is to get to 100%, yeah. correct, but, yes. But, but that base is still growing too, and so. It, and like you said, it, it's a, you enter in as your individual character into the um, Actalysis Prime where you get to pick, and this is, is yeah. this then part and of this graphic? Yeah, yeah, and where, this is where you're playing, so this is where you learn the materials. Where you're playing. And so the center place, the Actalysis, the center, is what you've been describing to us throughout the show. So far. Is these eight pillars, yes. And yeah. then the, everything that you see around the Actalysis um, are things that people get to pick to yeah, journey. So, so this is kind of like what I mentioned. Uh, if, if you can vaguely see that the island is based on an octagon shape. Yes. And so, you know, we, there's different contents. There's things about persuasive technology, which are things, you know, created by BJ Fogg. Yes. Uh, and his, and the offshoots, you know, Near Isles work and Hook, and a lot of people, yes. like, it's, it's in that school of thought. Then you have behavioral economics that's on the left bottom, extrinsic, more black hat. So that's Daniel Kahneman's uh, Thinking Fast and Fail, that's Richard Thedo's Nudge. You know, that's also growing legs. You have applied psychology, which are things like Robert Cialdini's uh, work on, on uh, influence, and also uh, Oren Clav, where he talks about how he uses behavioral uh, psychology to, to fundraise, right? So there's, and there's gameful design, which is, you know, people who's, who, like Jay McGonigal, talking about how game can empower the world, make it fun, make it engaging. So these are all disciplines uh, that complete this, this body of knowledge. And of course, at the top there's what we call uh, motivation psychology. So that's Mikhail Csikszentmihalyi's flow theory. It's yes. the self-determination we mentioned. So, so all that stuff adds together to a picture of, of uh, understanding how the mind works and how do we, and inside the Octalysis core is how do you apply it again to your well-being, relationships, career, to your happiness and finding your purpose. So, and understanding those eight core drives. And then we have all these little mechanics in it too where uh, I have uh, weekly office hours. I spend an hour answering member questions, helping them design or uh, uh, helping them change to improve their designs. Uh, there's a Slack community that people are helping each other a lot on. There's challenges, there's daily chess where they get chow coins and they can do all these th interesting things with it. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, so, so what, what inspires me is there's a lot of high school teachers on this platform. And so, so the platform is $50 a month. There's actually a power up and core drive loss and avoidance that deduct it's, that turns into $30 because mm -hmm. you don't want to, you want to avoid paying bills. So like every core drive has multiple power ups uh, depending on what you're learning. Uh, students is a $20 a month. So it's, it's, it's not like, Ten dollars, like like Netflix, but it's it's but it's not it's much cheaper than the college uh, education, right? Oh, totally. My comparison <laughs> is that it's like a gym membership. It is, right? yeah. Which also means that you don't pay the money and you you you, you transfer the lives, right? You pay the money, then you put in the time, you you're engaged time. with it. That's right. And then I, we've seen lots of members. Uh, you know, they've raised their funding, th raised funding for the startups through it. Yep. A guy was a music teacher, and then he became a interactive. Uh, game designer for a, a music education company, so it's it's like his dream job. Um, you know, so so we do see transformation through this, and and so it's just it just makes me happy to see all this stuff happen. And it's my it's again it's it's the project I want to leave for my daughters. That's right. right yeah. My my friend was saying if he gets hit by a bus, he wouldn't be able to pass down his wisdom and knowledge to his to his young daughter. And I thought about it. Like, no, I I'd be actually I. I'm safe there because everything I, want, I feel like is worth uh, learning in my life, I'm putting on Octalysis Prime. My what a profound been. way of thinking is that what have you learned in your life that is such value, of such great value that you would want to build um, a really uh, robust way of disseminating that for future generations, especially your family, your community. Um, that's a very important thing to leave yeah. behind in life, and yeah. I'm glad that you've you know you've so, done this. So I, I truly believe in this stuff. Like my twin daughters, Symphony and Harmony, they're only 16 months old. Starting from six months old, I'm already exposing the Octas framework to them, getting to be familiar. Of course, they don't understand but they're building what we call uh, emotional associations with it, yes. cognitive ease with it. Yeah. Because I believe sincerely, like even in my own life, if I learned the Octalysis or discovered the Octalysis framework even a year prior to when I did, Absolutely. I believe my life will be totally different. I use this yeah. knowledge on an hourly basis. Yeah. Like yeah. it's amazing. And I, I, can, I can't even fathom uh, my daughter's being Octalysis framework 
natives, like knowing it at one year old, yeah. like, like how, how they live their lives and how powerful they can be in, in driving it. And then the next thing is how do you install the right values, right? You're using this for good, for meaningful things, not just to be successful yourself or, or for, for things that, that harm society, right? So, so you got the skills, the abilities, but then the values is all, like I have a whole video series on Octavius Prime about how to teach them, for instance, like family pride and values, right? Oh, it's like you should do this because you're a chow. So even they say, oh, how come, that, how come Bobby doesn't have to do that? Well, because he's not a child. You're a child, which means you always do the right thing. You know, it's just like you know, Game of Thrones, you're a Stark, right? You're a Lannister. It, it has that type of motivation is a little bit of the epic meaning and calling. Yeah. Your family lineage and your, your values. And, it, and it, sometimes they don't like to think about it or they argue against when they're younger, but it sticks with them throughout life. Yeah. One of my favorite examples in, is in a Smallville, um, Lexer, right? Which is Superman's chief rival. His dad always says, you're a Luther, let's Luther. So you're a Luther and Luthers aren't afraid. You don't back down for fair. He was very harsh on his son. His dad was a successful business guy. And so Lex Luther was, was trained like, I'm a Luther, so I should be brave. Right? He hates his dad, but he, he got that installed. So imagine how much motivation you need to have to be the villain against Superman, right? Yeah. You have no superpowers at all. You just use your brain. It's like, no. There's Superman hanging around, but I want to be a, a villain. I want to be his rival. You need a lot of motivation there. And so for good or for bad, family values and pride passes down. And that's, again, core job one, epic yeah. meaning and calling. It would be so interesting to see young kids, uh, even as early as, yeah, three, four years old in these uh, preschools and kindergartens, uh, um, doing things like talking about scarcity mindset versus abundance mindset, self-actualization mindset. Like, what are you finding most interesting? These are very powerful um, frameworks to, to get to kids. I want, because this, this, these, the process of how to actually implement this into people's lives and implement it into corporations mm -hmm. and stuff is very important, um, that you have this, this process. Player, desired actions, feedback, stats, business metrics, win state modes, incentives, yeah. uh, all these things are applicable. So some people learn the framework and they're like, okay, I know how the brain works, but how do I actually apply this to my project? And when we talk about how you know, we have design projects, that's you know, over $100,000, uh, we have a five-step process. And the first step is doing this, what we define what we call the strategy dashboard. It's mm -hmm. defining a few components that lead to new ones. You know, business metrics, what you're trying to improve, your players, who you're tar targeting, the desired action, each step you want them to do, each desired action leads to a win state, you got FIBA mechanics that trigger desired actions and, and people use it to track progress towards the win state. And these are rewards and incentives that are embedded inside the win, st uh, yes. win state. So yes. that's step one. And what's interesting is, um, you know, once you do all five steps, that's a robust project. We teach every single step in detail in Octalysis Prime. Yes. So we're not holding back anything. It's like literally what we teach our consultant, we teach in Octalysis Prime. And actually we've hired a lot of Octalysis Group consultants through Octalysis Prime. So, so they, the joke is that Octalysis Prime, the education platform, is a feeder for my consulting company. Yeah. And it's literally just because, you know, this stuff is deep enough. I don't, like, people have been trying to learn it for five years, and they, they're just, like, okay at, compared to what I think is excellent. Um, I don't mind people getting exposed to all of this, because I know they're not just going to, like, study for two, two days and suddenly, you know, make a whole, whole, whole living just based on that two days. The amount of companies that you guys have helped is crazy that those are very, very prominent organizations and it's good that they're starting to have a, uh, a solid understanding of what um, is the, uh, the whys. Yeah, yeah, so what's unique is that these companies are a lot of their you know, healthcare and insurance and banking, finance, education. And so the, the sweet spot of gamification are things that are extremely, extremely important, but potentially mundane and boring. So I don't work with that many gaming companies. Usually if my friend has a gaming company, he wants me to be advisor, I say yes, but I, I tend not to do it because my passion is not to create better fantasy worlds people can escape to. My passion is to make this world so much more interesting that you don't have to go there. That's right. And, and so one of our projects is uh, we work with the largest steel manufacturer in the world and you know, our, our project is to reduce uh, injuries. So it's to make mm -hmm. safety behavior more fun and exciting. It's to make reporting and removing hazards interesting, exciting. Yeah. Um, we recently launched the, um, uh, the loyalty program for Porsche in, uh, in uh, Austria. Wow. So it, 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 it's like you drive 
with, with your Porsche and then you can earn different rewards based on your driving behavior. Yep. And it also allows you to upgrade to your next car in the Volkswagen family, including Porsche, yeah. uh, more easily. So those <coughs> are all fun <coughs> things to do. In your, at your TEDx talk, you also gave the example of, uh, of where there's people that are making it so that the little speed readers on, on interstates are, um, if you're driving within the speed limit, you get entered into the lottery where you can get a chance to win them proceeds from people that are driving over the speed limit and get fined. So it's, there's all of these interesting ways to, um, to gamify our world. And um, it's also cool that, like you said, it's even down to the steel mill. How do you actually make it more safe for people to be there? You're literally reducing the amount of injuries um, and therefore increasing the amount of you know families that can stay together and these types of things. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's not quantifiable, but I'm 100% sure that my work has saved lives in the past. It's hard to measure because you don't know the lives that would have would have yeah. been lost without without that environment, right? Yes, but. Um, but you know, that, just the thought of that makes yeah. me happy because we work with insurance companies, we work with companies that motivate people to drive safer or work safer in the factory. We work with a lot of healthcare, well-being type of companies, um, and so you know, those those projects are really what makes me because I've, I've I've I have this certain skill set that I've uh, concluded that is very very powerful and useful, and and a lot of my projects are to help bigger companies grow grow bigger. But then some comp some projects are really just to help, like talk about getting foster kids to uh, build build up their self esteem, um, to get uh, people to, with diabetes to to have better behavior, to uh, save the uh, Amazon rainforest. So all these projects are just really inspiring to me, and and I I literally have so much respect for people who just work on that, right? They dedicate their whole lives to just work on that. Where I'm just like, hey, that's a nice project. Yeah, I did some impact. Could, could, I'm, I'm happy. I'm, I'm proud of myself, right? But I have full respect for people who just yes. like who, who consume their life just on that one mission to to make humanity better yes yes and you're you're bringing up one of the most important examples of how um, an octalysis framework embedded into healthcare um, is extremely powerful to to get people um, living healthier happier um, lives and that's an immediate reward there's an immediate feedback to the decisions that we make um, with exercise and nutrition and sleep that's immediate feedback and then that also gives a long-term um, healthier life as well and I'm glad it being implemented there is so crucial um, on the way out Yukai we have to talk about seeing our world as a game um, and seeing our world as a uh, we talked about this a little bit earlier with um, with civilization uh, acting like a, an experiment in a petri dish and then embedding other games uh, within the petri dish and seeing how those evolve. Um, what would you say are some of the most important um, lines of code to augment within civilization in order to maximize the amount of actualization and transcendence that occurs? Well, it depends on uh, who's the co-writer because there's from an individual standpoint, you can change your mentality to see life as a game. That was my big epiphany. Yes. And it's only thrived at everything I did. There's the government that can do things that can change to yes. make society more gameful. There's company organizations. So there's educators. So it depends on what angle you're coming in from. Give us a bit from all of those if you can. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So from an individual standpoint is to see life really as a game because the thing about a game is that a game is about uh, you have your goals. You have your current resources, yes. and you have obstacles, right? And the idea of the game is to figure out how to use your current resources to get through those obstacles and reach the goal. Yes. That's actually much closer to our work in our real life, right? Most of our work is not like what we study in school, which is <laughs> memorize a bunch of stuff and regurgitate it onto a piece of paper, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Which is why actually playing games does help you have better problem-solving skills Absolutely. and all these things. So, but when we see this in this framework, imagine a game where you just just go straight forward, 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 and you win. That's that's like stupid, stupid and boring, right? Got to be obstacles. Every, every bad guy obstacle in the game is a chance for us to be awesome and get more points yeah. and win, right? And learn. So in, in in our real life, we should have that mentality. A lot of people have this victim mentality. They're just yeah. like, oh, why is this obstacle? Why is this bad guy? Why do you have an enemy? My life sucks, and they go in depression, right? And I said, no, that's your landscape challenge, right? You don't complain about your landscape, you figure out how to overcome it, yeah. right? If there's none of these obstacles, then the game's boring. You just kind of live your life as if nothing happened and you get old and the game's over, right? Yeah. So, so that mentality is important. Think about it from a networking standpoint. You know, some people will have this, this, um, this scary like comfort bubble, right? And they're like, oh, I don't want to reach out to people. What if they get upset about it? It's like, well, if you look at a game, RPG games, 
You, go, you walk up to an NPC and it says, what are you doing here? Get out of here, right? You don't feel sad or upset or anything. It's like, okay, maybe I'm not high level enough. Maybe I need to get a certain item, right? You're just like, I'm not qualified yet. So let me go do these other items and maybe I'll come back to this guy and he'll talk to me because I'm a higher level person now, yep. right? It's, it's, it's that mentality that really changes all this stuff. It's going from like, I'm, I'm just a victim in life and all these things I have no control over to, hey, I have what Jay McGonigal calls urgent optimism, which is, yeah. I believe if I, if I try, I can reach the win state, but it's urgent, I have to do it now. And yeah. that is a, a great type of psychology. Um, in Jay McGonigal's book, uh, Super Better, she talks about there's, there's difference between hope, optimism, and self-efficacy. Like hope is believing that there is a positive outcome and that it could happen. Optimism is, is thinking that the positive outcome is very likely. But mm -hmm. self-efficacy is, is a belief that I affect that positive outcome. I totally. can make it happen, right? And self-efficacy is a great psychological state. And I think that is what decreases depression and whatnot. So, yes. so you know, when I saw my life as a game, I just thrived at everything I did. Before, and I was, I was still a student, I studied just enough to reach my acceptable grade and I stopped and I, and, um, and I started playing games, right? But when you see for your life as a game, you're not just gonna do the minimum, you're gonna do the best you can. That's right. Right, and so my life literally changed when I saw from as a game. And there's so many different analogies, so many ways to there, optimize this game. This is very profound though. What resources do you have now? How do you allocate them to overcoming the obstacles that are in front of you in order to level up the most and achieve this golden goals that you have, these milestones along the way of your self-actualization and, and transcendence? And then mm -hmm. seeing your landscape that way um, is, is very profound. And, okay, and then for And another thing is focus too. on your journey more than the result. Like a lot of people have Focusing fond memories of playing the Super Mario game and on in the original Super Mario game, yep. very few people I talked to have beat the game. But it doesn't matter, no one's like, oh, I, I don't beat this, I'm depressed, or I can't beat this, I'm not gonna try. Yeah. By playing it, you're winning, yeah. right? The only way to lose is not play. And so that's another mentality. So when you look at the government, you know, I think the government could do things. First of all, our work, we always have to define what, where you're targeting, what's the desired actions. And so once the government can define, okay, these are the things that make society better, whatever it is, right? Either it's making people flourishing. Uh, Andrew Yang, who's running for 2020 president, he says the economy needs to be measured different way, in a different mm -hmm. way. It shouldn't just be at GDP. It should be about uh, human, like a th uh, human uh, capital and thriving, right? Yes, yes. Uh, and flourishing. So it's like, well, if we know people who do these things uh, will make society better from a human, humanistic standpoint, then it's about, okay, how do we add emotional triggers to that experience? How do you add more meaningful choices that they, and, and, and self-expression? How do we add more social influence, willingness? People feel like they get to collaborate more. They feel more social appreciation. How do we add more unpredictable curiosity? So there's new surprising, delightful elements. And so you can create a society with these type of rules. Um, one interesting example is uh, the Taiwanese government. In the 19, like I think 1958, they actually gamified tax collection. They turned tax collection into a lottery game. And instantly, that year, their, the whole government's tax revenue increased by 80%. <laughs> what? Because people were evading, evading taxes, and because they made it fun, and people wanted to, to, to play the lottery game, they, they reported everything on more honestly, and then suddenly wow. they, they doubled, almost doubled their government revenue. So, so, so there's, story. yeah, so there's all these type of uh, examples governments can do. Educators, yeah. right? Educators can make learning fun, I think. I think that's, that's by default where people feel like, oh, now just, just traditional way of, again, memorizing things, putting a piece of paper, it's not that exciting. And being and, coupled with the student's outcome as well, just like a yeah. doctor being coupled with the patient's outcome. For sure. Yeah, yeah. And so now, because information is everywhere online, like students don't lack access to information, they lack access to a coach, to guidance, Mentors, right, yeah. to context. Yeah. And so the educators should see themselves as, as a friend that allow the students to thrive as opposed to a top-down like like I'm your superior so you listen to my orders kind of relationship and then they can make learning a lot so there's a lot of projects like Classcraft this is a company that I have a lot of respect for there's a lot of ones that are just very boring but Classcraft is great um, and so it's just making learning more fun you know hospitals can I've 
I've seen different projects I, from. I know you and I could talk for so long. I want to also. You have mother coming into yes, town, and we want we want to pick, yeah pick her up on time and everything. We can you Kai will we'll do another um, show at some point, maybe over the summer, where we can get deeper into um, a lot of this uh, and inspire other people to get um, to view the world view in in this light and from the why perspective of the Octalysis framework. And it's very profound hearing you um, teach about all of the different examples as well. We can get deeper into that too. Um, Couple really quick questions on the way out that we like to ask our guests on the show. Do you think we're alone in the cosmos? Um, so I don't. This is something that I don't have. I don't know the answer. Mm -hmm. But from a probability standpoint, I think it's it's likely that there are other. If you're talking about alone, living species. I, I think it's likely that there are living species out there. And the next question is: Do you think we're in a simulation? Uh, also, no real knowledge of that. But and it depends on how you define simulation, right? It's, I believe that, and I'm actually a spiritual person, so I believe this world is kind of like a simulation mm -hmm. and, and uh, it's almost like when, when our lives ends here, that's like we stand up from that computer mm -hmm. and then it's like, okay, how did you do in the game? Did you spend all your time yeah. getting things that don't really get you points? Yeah. You know, like, like being successful in your career or you actually spend time um, Doing things that actually accumulate points, That's which right. is being kind to other people, yeah. you know, and, and loving loving others and loving things like others. that. So working on hard projects, yeah, so, overcoming obstacles. So, yeah. so I, I I believe from that viewpoint, you know, there's we are in a type of simulation, and and yeah. our, we're put into this role, you know, whatever it's your gender, your race, your your origin. That's your role, just like in the game. You have a warrior, yeah, you have right. wizard, and it's how you play this role, how well you play this role. Yeah. Right, but after the game ends, none of that matters. You stand up, you're just like the, uh, a high school gamer, just like everyone else who's playing the game. Yeah, yeah, and so that's 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 my personal belief. I love it. Yeah, keep leveling up. Right. Yeah. That's a that's a really profound way that we like to just yeah help people with that notion. I'm glad that you have that view and mentality. Last question: What do you think is the most beautiful thing in the world? Uh, my quick my quick thought about that is forgiveness. I think. When someone forgives something dark and painful, I think it's beautiful. Yeah, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. <laughs> you guys, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on to our show. It's a Thank pleasure. You. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's been such an honor. I'm so happy that um, we had you on. So much profound wisdom came out of it. Everyone, Actionable Gamification, the link is below. Check it out. Um, also check out the links below to Yukai's website, um, his Twitter, his books, and um, also um, join Octalysis Prime if you want to implement some of what um, we've been talking about into your lives and also get the direct um, video mentorship of Yukai. Um, and Thank you, everyone. We greatly appreciate your love and support watching this episode. Share your thoughts in the comments below. We'd love to hear from you. Also, share some of the Octalysis Prime whys with your communities, your friends, your families online. Go and get sharing and talking about this. Also, support the people that you believe in, the artists, the entrepreneurs, the organizations around the world that are trying to fulfill some of these basic physiological needs and help people with self-actualization. Support them. Simulations links are below. Help us grow as well. And go and build the future, everyone. Manifest your dreams into the world. We love you so much. Thank you for, for tuning in, and we will see you soon. Peace.